One of the things we've enjoyed out here in the West is some of the art forms. One of the ones that has sort of blown our minds a little bit, there's a couple right in our church, Bud and Miriam, that make art out of gourds. Gourds of all things. They go alongside of the road and collect these gourds and they, they melt crayons and paint the most beautiful designs on them that you can imagine. We have one in our home that has a pair of praying hands on a gourd. So who knew? I told Bud we're going to call him the gourd father if their business con- continues on. You know, I've got a special deal for you. <laughs> um, we've got the Fippin Museum of Western Art. I don't know if you've ever been there or at least seen the horse outside. It's along Highway 89. Very cool Western art. It's also cool just for the name. You know, Christians aren't technically allowed to swear, but we're great at making up our our own swear words, you know, shoot, fudge. That museum is fun just to say you're going there. What are you doing this afternoon? I'm going to the Fippin Museum. (laughs) My youngest boy, Evan, is still convinced that uh, Woody from Toy Story, that's where he lives. They got so much cool cowboy stuff. Yeah! But one of, one of my favorite pieces of art was from a good friend named Richard. He, he made walking sticks, and he still does. And you can see they're not just any walking sticks. He, he painted the bottom a nice black after he smoothed it down. This top part's got intricate uh, little, little chunks that he put in with a clear, clear glaze on top, and he put the little leather straps, and I thought it was pretty cool. And it used to be stored in my garage except for when we go hiking, but about two years ago, I decided to take this walking stick that Richard gave me, and I put it right next to our door, so that anybody who comes over to our house or anytime we walk out our door, you see it. And people will ask me, what's up with the walking stick by your door? And I say, they put it there to remind me that we're just pilgrims passing through this world. We're just walking through this temporary world on our way to an eternity with our Heavenly Father. That, that's a, a biblical perspective. We're, we're just traveling through. And there's an Old Testament equivalent of that sort of pilgrimage that I want to talk about. It's, it's in Psalm 121, but this whole section of Psalms, 120 to 134, about 15 of them, they're known as songs of ascents. They're, they're kind of like traveling songs that that the Israelites would sing as they walked from all over Israel to Jerusalem to celebrate the festivals with the rest of the people in Israel, Passover, etc. And as they went, they would sing these songs. Psalm 121 is, is one of those. And I think about their journey. Their journey was filled with danger. Uh, they, they would go through often wilderness country where they were in risk of thieves Injury, as you can risk on any hike. Wild animals weren't uncommon. They, they, they faced all these risks as they looked forward to going to Jerusalem, to the temple, to be with God. Because that's where God dwelt in the nation of Israel. So there's great anticipation, but there's also great risk. And as I think about their pilgrimage, I think about some of the New Testament language that God uses to talk about Christians today. He, he tells us that we're citizens of heaven. He calls us aliens. There, there's references to us just passing through this world. And how many of you guys know that just like those Israelites in the Old Testament, as we are on this pilgrimage to heaven where we'll spend forever with our Father, 
we face our own dangers. Uh, there's an enemy who, who seeks to attack us. There's illnesses that, that we can fall prey to. I, I know just this week of a dear friend who, who has been sent back to the hospital because she has stage 4 cancer throughout her stomach and her colon. There's close relationships that, that fall apart on us. Close friends that, that turn their backs on us. There's, there's dangers. And so what I like about these psalms in this section is they're great for when the road gets long. When the road gets hard and when the road gets tiring and discouraging. And it's my hope that if you're there tonight, weary, discouraged, that you can find some hope in Psalm 121. It starts out in verse 1 with probably the most familiar part of the whole passage. I lift my eyes up to the hills or the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The hills or mountains were a reference to the fact that Jerusalem, as most of you probably know, is a city surrounded by mountains. So, so as they're on this journey, they, they lift their eyes up to those hills. And I thought about how easy it is when you're on a journey, be it a literal journey like a hike in the woods or the journey of life, to get bogged down with the myriads of details of, of where you're at right at the moment. You know, for those Israelites, it'd be so easy on that trail to Jerusalem to focus on the boulder that they have to work their way around in the path or the, the pebble in their shoe or the trees that surround them, or, or a water obstacle that they had to get around. It'd be easy to forget their destination. We're going to see God. We're going to celebrate with God. In order to do that, what did they have to do? They had to lift their eyes up above what they're going through at the moment and remember where they're heading. I saw this played out on television this week with, how many of you guys know Cody London, professor at Yavapai College? Local guy on Discovery Channel. He, he's on the survival shows. He's known for being barefoot. Even in the desert, he can survive for weeks out, out in the middle of nowhere. We were watching his show, Dual Survival, this week. And it's extra cool now because we got a guy in our church named Jerry who's actually spent a few nights out in the woods with, with Cody. And I wish Jerry was here because I wanted to pick on him and say this, but I'll, I'll say this even though he's not here. You don't want to get Jerry ticked off at you. Jerry's one tough dude. Number one, he, he messes with electricity for a living. Okay, he, he's a black belt in some martial arts, and he's spent time in the woods with Cody. Okay, so I'm thinking if you get on Jerry's bad side, he can come to your house, cut your power, stay out there in the cold all night, and build a fire with sticks, and wait there until you come out to see what's going on, and then he can kick your butt with just his bare hands. You don't want to mess with Jerry, and I really wish he was here, but... You can give him a hard time next week. But Cody, on this show this week, was in Hawaii. And he wasn't in the, the touristy parts of Hawaii where everybody goes. He was out in the, the thick of the Hawaiian jungle with one other guy. And they're going through this undergrowth very slowly. They're having to cut it with machetes, and, and they're having a slow time. And that's usually not a big deal if you're on a pleasure hike, but these guys need to find water, ASAP. They need to find food, and they need to build a shelter for the night. Progress is slow. So what's, what does his buddy do? His buddy climbs a tree, looks out over the forest to discover which path to where we need to go has 
the least of this undergrowth. And they discover a path down to the ocean where they're heading that has less undergrowth than the path that they're on. And they, they take that path. He had to climb above the situation they found themselves in to get a clear perspective on life. Just like these people had to lift their eyes up to the hills as they're on their way to Jerusalem. I think it's imperative that, that you and I as God's children do the same thing. Because it's so easy for us to get bogged down in the details of what's going on right now. It's discouraging often and it's, it's difficult. You, maybe you're focused on that next mortgage payment that's, that you don't know where it's going to come from. Or that class that you've taken for the second time at college and for whatever reason you just cannot get what's going on in this class. Or that three-year-old that, that's come out of his room for the thousandth time for the fourth night in a row when you are absolutely out of energy, when we get mired down in those details, life can be discouraging. We need to do, like it says in this psalm, stop for a moment, get above the circumstances through prayer, talking to God through the word, through listening to God, and get a clear perspective of where it is we're heading. We're heading to heaven. Jesus, if Jesus did that in his earthly ministry, he got away from the crowds, the needs, and went to the mountain to get a perspective, he lifted his eyes up to his father. How much more do you and I need to do that? We need to look to where we're heading. We're heading to heaven, people. That, that's, a, that's a promise from God. And I think about the old phrase you've probably heard thrown around. Some people are too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. That's actually the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. Paul says, set your mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. And the reason is, if you and I are focused on all the same things that the people around us are focused on, more money, more power, more things, better reputation, I could go on and on and on again. We got no hope to offer them because we're stuck in the same mire that the whole world is stuck in. They need people who have their minds set on heaven those are the kind of people that can make a difference on this earth. Well, it's just the opposite of the old, old phrase that we throw around so much. And I thought about the end of this verse too. It says, my help comes from the Lord. And then it gives his qualifications. The maker of heaven and earth. I thought about it. If you set out on a journey looking at your life and say, man, I'm kind of overwhelmed. I need a personal assistant. So I'm going to start collecting resumes. I, I want to see what the qualifications of these people are that are going to help me out. And you're going through them and you're reading through hundreds of resumes and you get to one, God, um, maker of heaven and earth. Maker of heaven and earth? I want that guy. That's the guy I want to help me. Because he made this whole place. We, we know uh, just from this past week I was doing some studies about galaxies. We know that our galaxy is a cluster of stars. Did you know that our galaxy is part of a cluster of galaxies? And then there are clusters of galaxy clusters. So the more and more you pull back from the, the universe and get a big view, it's so intricately organized. It's amazing. This is the God who did that. He made heaven and earth. Would you really choose anyone else out of that list to, to help you in your life? If he saw that qualification on the resume? But do we live that? Is he really the first place we normally turn 
when life goes south, when the journey gets long? Or do we have three or four other places, people, things we turn to before we turn to him? Why? If he's really the maker of heaven and earth, I think we know where we need to turn. The next verses I want to talk about rest. There we talked about look, lifting our eyes up. Verse 3. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel, we could say God's children today as well, will neither slumber nor sleep. Did you guys see the news yesterday? about what happened on a flight from Greece to Netherlands back in September. There's a big investigation going on right now because the pilot, as pilots have to do sometimes, had to go to the bathroom. So he got up, got out of the cockpit, closed the cockpit door, locked it, went to the bathroom, and when he came to get back in, knocked on the door, no answer. Knocked on the door, no answer. Radioed his co-pilot, no answer. Finally, they were able to bang the door open somehow, and the co-pilot was asleep. Right at at the helm of this airplane. I thought they locked those doors to keep terrorists out. Evidently, they locked those doors so their naps don't get interrupted. But that's a scary thought, isn't it? I don't know how many people were on that plane, but what a scary thought. I, I like this quote. It's like the understatement of the year. I like the guy's name too. It's a serious incident, said, said Wim van der Wegen of the Dutch Safety Board. What makes it serious is the combination of the pilot being unable to access the cockpit and the first officer being asleep. You think? <laughs> By serious incident, I mean the flight was in danger, he said. What, what, a, what a scary thing. And I wonder if, if you look at your life ever... And maybe you don't say it with your words, but with your emotions, you look at what's going on right now. And if you ever, honestly, in those quiet moments of your heart, if you ever wonder if God's like asleep at the wheel, you, you look at what, what's going on right now and you start to question, why is this going on? Is, is God asleep at the wheel? Well, Psalm 21 tells us the answer we need. Verses 3 and 4, he will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The idea I want to get at here about rest is God does not rest. He does not sleep. That means you and I can rest. You and I can sleep. And I know this militates against a big philosophy in our country, right? We talk a lot about being, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I got everything I got because I worked hard. That's how I got everything. That's how I got to where I'm at today. The Bible doesn't tell us we ought to be self-made men and women. It tells us we ought to be God-made men and women. And this verse tells us God doesn't rest so that we can. And I think it's a shame in our fast-paced society, our hectic society, there's almost a guilt put on you if you attempt to take a day off or two days off or, or rest more than your neighbors. Oh, that, that person, there, there, there's this guilt that we, we have to process through. Truth is, science shows. It, it's not up for debate. Adults need eight to ten hours of sleep for their body to, to operate at a prime level. I know parents are saying, wow, it's been a long time since I've seen that. But listen, one-third 
of people, and I'm surprised it's that little, 30%, 33% of people admit that they get less than six every night when we need eight to ten. And I wanted to throw something out here about rest. Because these people would be on a long journey. They'd have to sleep out overnight. Sleeping, period, is an act of trust. But when you're out in the wilderness like that, it's an act of trust to, to go to sleep. I feel that every time I camp at a public campground. Not knowing who's in that tent next to me on that side and who's in that tent over there. God, you're going to have to protect us. But what if rest and sleep was a sign of faith in our lives? Every bit as much as praying, reading my Bible, serving my neighbor, telling others about Jesus. What if, what if rest itself was an act of faith for us? Where we laid down at night, said, God, I believe you're in control. And I am not. So I can rest. There's a disease that's been ravaging parts of Africa called river blindness. 99% of the cases in the world are centered in Africa. And it's usually around rivers where these flies, small black flies, breed and breed and breed. And what these flies will do is bite people. Not only bite them, they will, after they bite people, they will lay their larvae inside of human skin. And as the larva gets into human skin, they often die. And one of the worst symptoms is, is blindness. But almost as bad is this itchiness, this extreme, constant itchiness. And the article I was reading said that this itchiness is so extreme that they've been known to take hot machetes out of the fire and just put them on their skin to scrape the itch away. They, they've been known to take broken pottery, as you read about in, in Job, perhaps, and, and scrape their skin over and over. They, they've been known to pour boiling water on their skin because the itch is so intense. And one of the worst parts is when you itch like that, you cannot sleep. You go days and weeks and months without sleep, driving many people to, to suicide. You can imagine, even though the disease itself is not fatal, that's, that's no kind of life to live. The article is about, thankfully, they've, they've found a cure for this disease that they're starting to administer to the people that have it. But as I thought about that, I thought about this disease that keeps people from sleeping, these larvae that keep people awake at night. And I thought, man, aren't those larvae under their skin that make them itch and keep them from sleeping, kind of like the the worrisome thoughts that we ourselves and Satan plant into ourselves. I mean, the worries, the, the, the things that we can't really control, but we think we're going to stay up and solve them anyway about our, our jobs or that unreasonable boss or you name it, our financial situation. We worry, worry. Maybe we worry about our premature death. We worry about the illness that's on us. We can't do anything about it by worrying, but we do, and it robs us of our sleep. And I want to say that the only ultimate cure for that kind of worry that keeps us up at night is full and utter trust in a big God who's in control. 
The cure is not saying, don't worry, I shouldn't worry, beat yourself up for worry. It's saying God really, truly is a God who sits on the throne of the universe. He's got this. I can rest. Sleep can be an act of trust and worship. Now, I wanted to put an asterisk by this and tell you guys don't try to use that when, when you want to take a nap on Sunday afternoon and you promise your wife you're going to do that chore. Like, don't be like, sorry, dear, I'm worshiping God. I trust him. Look, rest, trust. It's the last, last idea we want to camp on tonight. Verses 5 and 6. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. Verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. I want to break down a couple phrases there. It said by day or night. idea there is 24-7. Obviously, God is watching. I love that next phrase. It says the Lord will watch over your coming and going. I read that phrase and I thought, man, I don't know where all of you came in from this week. I don't know what you've been walking through this week, but the idea here is that whatever you're coming in here from, God has been with you. He's been watching you. And then the next part says going, right? So wherever you go into this week, there's, there's things we don't know. Maybe half an hour after this service that will occur in our lives. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week, God knows, and he will go with us into what we go, both now and forevermore. He's our faithful, forever protector. Now, if you're like me, and you got sort of a, I don't know what you want to call it, investigative or honest sort of mind, you want to look at this phrase and say, all right, it says that he will keep me from all harm. And as you look at your life, you're saying, really? <laughs> All harm? Because as I look at my life, it's kind of, I don't, I don't understand how that can be true. Does it mean I'll never get hurt? I don't, I don't see that, how that can be true. And I thought the best answer for that is actually from the Bible itself. Lately, in my quiet times, I've been rereading the story of Joseph. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then, then Joseph at the end of Genesis there. His life, I think, gives us the answer we're looking for. Just a quick summary. You guys know he started out with some dreams from God, right? He, he started off, he had these dreams that his mom and dad and his brothers and sisters were going to bow down to him. He was already his dad's favorite, and he was telling bad things to his dad about his brothers, and then he tells them all that. So you can imagine he's not real loved in his family. He's thrown in a cistern. He's then sold into Egypt to a man named Potiphar, and he's falsely accused of rape, and he's thrown in prison for it. As he's in prison, you guys remember, he interpreted a couple guys' dreams, and they told the Pharaoh about it. He eventually was elevated to second in command in the land and was able to provide food for Egypt, the surrounding nations, and his own brothers. And the thing I want to point out about Joseph is, at those moments where he was falsely accused of rape, where he's thrown in a cistern, he, he didn't see what was next. He didn't know the story as, as you and I know it. And it didn't happen just as quickly as you read 13 chapters. It happened over a matter of years. 
But what the Bible tells us in Genesis 39, it says, The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness, and he granted him favor with the people around him. See, Joseph's part was not to know everything that was happening that would happen next. His part was simply to trust and obey God, even in the dark moments. And that, that verse there, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. I believe that's true of all of God's children who trust and obey, even in the dark moments. God is with you. He is showing you kindness, and he will grant favor to those around you that he needs to. You remember what he said to his brothers. I love this verse at the end of Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And the idea I get here is that there are many people that have plans for your life. Satan has a plan for your life, and it's to steal, kill, and destroy. Your family and friends have a plan for your life, and some of those plans are good, some of those are harmful. But God looks at all those plans that other people have for your life and he says, I will not allow any of those plans to override my ultimate purpose for my child. My purpose will prevail through all of it. And I believe the words of Jeremiah 29 that he said to his children, Israel, I believe it for his children today, his plans for you are good plans, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. But I just want to close by saying whatever you're walking through right now, God is with you. He's walking with you and he's working to lead you to a good, good place. But as I think about the Psalms, I think it would be a shame to simply teach them. I think we would radically miss the point of the book of Psalms if all we did was talk about them. It'd be kind of like tomorrow's the Super Bowl and, and if the the coaches were to look at their playbook and say, wow, that's a great playbook. I love, man, I just love this book. I'm just going to memorize all this. But they never used any of the plays. That'd be kind of silly, right? I think the same is true of Psalms. It's not a playbook. It's a, it's a prayer book. And as we read through the book of Psalms, they're great ways to help us talk to our Heavenly Father ourselves in prayer. So what I'd like to do is take just this next five or ten minutes as the band comes up and they're just going to play their instruments. I want to invite you to do what we've talked about tonight. To lift your eyes up to our Heavenly Father. Whatever you're going through right now, just lift your eyes up to Him in prayer. Slow down. Take it to Him. Rest in Him. Admit to Him, hey, you got this. I don't. And then trust Him. Place your trust in Him tonight. And we're going to close with a couple songs. If you'd like to pray with somebody else in the room, that's what that circle in the back is for. Lord, I thank you that we can lift our eyes up to you, the maker of heaven and earth. And I don't know what all is represented in this room, where everybody's at on their journeys. But I pray that your spirit would move as we look to you, as we rest in you, as we trust in you. Help us not only to speak during this time, but to, to hear from you through your spirit, through your word. May you assure us of your presence, Lord. And if there's anyone in this room that's listening to this message about 
a group of people heading to heaven and thinking, wow, that's not where I'm heading. Your spirit's working on saying that they're heading quite the opposite direction because they haven't trusted in your son, Lord. Let them know that your son came to be that, that good shepherd. When he promised in Psalm 23, who would lead us beside quiet waters, Lord. Pray that you move them to a place tonight where they'd accept his gift on the cross in their place and his resurrection for the overcoming of their sin. Lord, thank you that you'll hear our prayers. We ask you to answer them in mighty ways. In Jesus' name.